Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I'm pleased to present Duncan Lamont and Philippe Lespinard. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you very much. Thank you for everyone joining us on today's call. And thank you, for Philippe, for being with me today. So, Philip, last time we had an opportunity to chat to you, bond markets were given some pretty downbeat signals. Give a couple of examples. 10-year German bond yields had gone negative. US 10-year yields had fallen below three-month rates. And that so-called yield curve inversion has historically been a pretty reasonable guide to, to recession risk. Um, but rather than being put off, risk markets, so equities, credit, emerging markets, had actually been pretty happy from the fact that central banks weren't seen to be tighter in policy too much. I thought one of the interesting points you made was about this idea that the market pricing for around about one to two rate cuts next year wasn't really a, an expectation. It was more a probability-weighted average of two very different outcomes. Um, one where we have a recession and rates are going to be cut more than twice, or one where actually rates could uh, stay the same or even possibly go f up further if the economic environment comes uh, comes through. Well, I guess things have, I guess we're only a month later now, but actually things feel like they have actually developed a bit since then. We've had bond yields positive again, yield curve no longer inverted, um, risk assets still actually doing pretty well, the kind of Goldilocks scenario of things not being so strong that rates are tightened, but not being so weak that actually there's any cause for concern. Um, today, first, I first want to get your reaction a bit to what's been going on in markets and whether that's been affecting your positioning in any way. But then actually I want to make some time to have a discussion on two other topics which I think are really interesting and which hopefully our listeners will too. One is on uh, Chinese fixed income and in particular their inclusion in the Bloomberg Barclays Global Aggregate and what that means for portfolios and the way that we're investing. And secondly, around sustainability and how sustainability considerations are being factored into the way we invest and our product range. But starting off first with uh, what's been going on in markets, do you feel that things are particularly different to the were a month ago? Um, they're they're a little bit different uh, in in two ways. One, um, a month ago we did not have a full quarter of Chinese activity data, and and Chinese data around the, the the Chinese New Year can be very volatile because the timing of the holiday changes, and that, that induces a lot of uh, of disruptions. Um, but now we have a full quarter, and um, and from what we can observe, the Chinese um, you know industrial sector is actually doing all right. Um, and uh, you know, China is gently slowing, but we know that because it's growing, and and, and it's so much larger than it was a few years ago that uh, then growing at six percent or six and a half percent growth is perfectly fine. So I guess that's um, the last. Whereas a month ago, because of that data was a bit messy and noisy, people were more concerned about the downside risks. But since then, things have actually looked to be in better shape. Yes, we're yes. So definitely much better than the market expected. Um, and um, and the currency's actually been improving. Uh, so, so, and of course, in the meantime, the central bank had taken some steps to to, to ease policy, and and bond yields had fallen from about four percent to about three percent in, in China. So, um, so China is is uh, is better than I, I suppose the market expected. The big other dark side of the the, the picture uh, was about the European uh, industrial cycle, um, and there the news is. A little bit better um, in general, except for Germany, where clearly the the, uh, the industrial slowdown 
in Germany, and particularly the auto focus, uh, the auto sector is is continuing and is rippling through the the suppliers and the and the, and the part, part makers and so on. So if you look at export orders out of Germany, they're still quite weak. Okay. Um, uh, but services are stabilizing. Uh, you look at uh, French orders; they're stabilizing uh, as well. So you've got tentative signs that the worst is behind us, uh, but you still have the secondary and, and tertiary impact of the, the, the very sharp slowdown in the the auto sector that we've had in, uh, since literally since the Q3 last year. So it's not necessarily a positive story, but it's a less negative story in some in some pockets yeah. there. Um, well, there's there's nothing new that we've learned that would concern us more. And and therefore, when you put that in perspective, uh, the fact that, that yields have bounced off their lows and so on, that's fairly logical. Um, what hasn't really moved is the fact there's still one rate cut or 25 base points rate cut, cut uh, priced into the, the Federal Reserve's um, uh, forecast for the uh, for next year, for the coming year, uh, one year from now. So uh, that is still, in our view, a little bit too, uh, too bearish an outlook. Okay, so you still maintaining a short duration position then yeah. as a result. Okay. Yeah, we'll 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 manage around it, but for choice we'll we'll remain shorter. And in terms of credit spreads, also last time when we spoke, um, spreads had tightened a bit, but you were saying they were still uh, preferring to be towards maybe uh, investment grade rather than than high yield. Since then, spreads have continued to come in. They've retraced pretty much all of the um, the widening that occurred in the fourth quarter. Is there still value? In investment grade right now, um, yeah, investment grade is getting tight, particularly in the in the US. Um, uh, and but but high yield is also is also uh, getting tight. I mean, there's not a huge amount of value. The the one thing I would say, uh, so so our, our scorecards for credits are getting more defensive now. Uh, okay, just to be clear, so our scores are you know either zeros or minus ones. I mean, they're not very negative, but on a scale of plus three to minus three, we're more on the zero to minus one. Uh, and would that have been different, say, around at the start of the year, would that have been more zero plus one? Uh, yeah, well, they were actually, in some cases, plus two. So okay, so, so quite a big swing then. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 so, so risk reduction has been the, the, you know, the broadly what we've been on. Um, a few, there's a few differentials in performance that are worth worthy of note. First of all, uh, European credit, one, if you hedge it back into dollars to compare with U.S. yields, uh, that's actually underperformed severely and hasn't nearly uh, come back as much. Um, and emerging markets have also underperformed quite notably. Um, so the U.S. market's been leading, um, and you could argue that's fairly logical given the outlook for, for the, the U.S. economy. Uh, consumer-oriented sectors have also been leading because the U.S. consumer is doing very well, uh, generally, with you know more jobs, more hours worked, and, and higher wages. So, so uh, that's a that's a strong part. Um, and clearly, the uh, the emerging market part, the emerging market sectors, and European sectors have been le- uh, lagging. So there is still some value if you believe our scenario that uh, we're not about to get a recession. That uh, we just have we're just having a, a bit of a down cycle in industrial activity. Then then there is still some good value in EM. Europe. Okay, so I guess yeah, the headline index spreads might not look that great on one level, but if you adjust it for different currencies, if you look at different sectors and different regions, then there actually still are some good opportunities there. Indeed. Um, so moving on now to to, to to more kind of special topics today. So starting off with with China. So this month Bloomberg uh, has started adding local Chinese government and policy banks, so kind of quasi government um, bonds to the Bloomberg Barclays Global Aggregate, like the flagship benchmark. 
it's going to be phased in, so about 18 months' time horizon, and by the end, they're projecting that the local Chinese uh, fixed income will be the fourth largest currency component of that benchmark. So a pretty large move and a, a strong signal as well, I think, that international investment is going to be moving more towards the Chinese local market, which hasn't really been accessible um, to, to many investors. I guess there's strategic and there's tactical points here, but in terms of the, the strategic side, how are we currently set up and how are our clients responding to this change um, in terms of the actual practical side of it? So, yeah, so, so the practicals are, are important here because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, China, restricted access was very restricted to the Chinese bond market. Um, and for for many years, you had to go to quotas, apply for quotas, um, then you had to use your quota or surrender it and so on, which wasn't very practical for managing open-ended funds, clearly, um, uh, like our, our CISIF range. Um, but it wasn't, uh, but it was also caused cause for concern for some of our investors who wanted to invest in China, but they didn't want to get locked in if they wanted to take their money out. That has changed since uh, since Bond Connect, um, and Bond Connect is the parallel to Stock Connect, so where you know which is the, an access for foreign investors into the domestic equity market, and now foreign investors have access to the domestic bond market um, through through Bond Connect, and that's without the need to apply for a license or without the need to have any quotas or repatriation limits or all of those Absolutely. issues that were there in the past have, have gone away now. Yeah, it doesn't quite give you. Completely unfettered access to the to the uh, to the market, so you have to, to go through the obviously the, the, the banking uh, banking market. Uh, you have to have a bank that fronts you, but that's ultimately uh, very manageable. And so on the on the on the part of our clients, we have two two kind of reactions. We have those who say yes, I, obviously it's coming into my benchmark, and clearly I want you to invest on my behalf. Um, and we have some who are saying, oh, we need more due diligence. Uh, we're not we're not quite sure about our our custodian banks' uh, ability to settle properly and account properly and value properly and all of that, you know, pay the coupons and all of these things. So there, there are some clients who are asking us to wait and therefore are excluding China from their benchmarks for now. But okay, so, know, so actually some mandates are specifically saying, yeah. Bloomberg may well have said, I'm going to start in them, but me as an investor, I'm not yet comfortable either with the risks or the infrastructure being in place. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with you know who legal title to the bonds and and, and all those sorts of things that you have to clear uh, for some of the investors to be reassured that you know once they've we've bought a bond on their behalf that they actually own it um, and you know these these things are not so simple and you got to make sure that you know you don't end up with some certificate that actually doesn't mean anything on the day yeah. <laughs> of the re redemption right so so all of those hurdles will need to be cleared by our clients uh, one by one we're, we're obviously advising them when 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 possible but we're also offering them uh, two ready-made solutions for access one is to use our own renminbi fund uh, which is a CISIF fund and for those who will make that an eligible investment that's already in operation and and we can already and we do that for some clients we already can can make uh, allocation through the fund uh, when they will allow us to use the fund so it's basically a self-contained solution with all the clearing, all the accounting, and everything ourselves. Uh, alternatively, we do what we do with our uh, typically with our other um, uh, specialist uh, desks. Uh, we will allocate the capital to uh, Julia Ho and her team in Singapore, obviously uh, with help from the Shanghai team and, and Kunshan there, 
who will manage on on our behalf and the behalf of the, the London team, say the uh, the allocation to the domestic bond markets directly. Okay, so so you can either go through the, the pool fund solution where the client doesn't have any hassle at all because that's taken care of by Schroders and within the fund structure. That's nothing to worry about. Or they could go the more direct route, um, which um, is operationally a bit more complicated, but we have uh, we're set up in place to be able to offer that already to our clients. We can do that for them. Okay, fantastic. I guess the other point then is around the, the more tactical angle. Just because Bloomberg are saying Chinese bonds are part of the benchmark doesn't mean that we should necessarily think they're an attractive investment opportunity. Where do you stand from that perspective? Yeah, so so uh, just just to put it in perspective, the uh, as as it is the, as the, the the weight goes into the benchmark month by month, uh, and I believe it's something like zero point three percent or something like that uh, for every month. Um, uh, you know, it's actually a very small allocation initially. So for us to engage currently, we'd have to be bullish, i.e., we'd have to be want to be overweight yeah. um, to to own one, two, three, four, five percent in, in Chinese bonds. Um, and if you exclude the, the credit issue, and well, we have no credit concerns with the Chinese government at this stage, the question is, you know, will our yields closer to 3% really attractive uh, when the economy is growing at, you know, 6-ish percent? Even if you don't really believe the official statistics and you think it's more like 4 or 5, um, and inflation, and that's the real growth, and inflation is probably around the 2% mark, um, then you have real, uh, sorry, nominal growth of 6 plus percent. Is is you know our bonds at three percent good value and that's a good <laughs> technically one could you know, our view is well not really it's not really a great great value at this level um, so uh, tactically we're not going to be looking to build a big overweight position um, I suppose a year ago when yields were closer to four and the economy was slowing and so on then you know clearly that would have been a better time to get involved but that wasn't available then even okay. though even though clearly our Singapore team did that and uh, for their Asian funds and did that quite well. Okay, so yeah, so the, from the structural strategic side of things, we're fully set up and ready to um, meet the different needs of our clients, but tactically, given the relatively low benchmark weight at the moment, there's not attractive enough to make us want to actually um, take a large overweight position. Right Absolutely. Now. So down to our final topic for the day, sustainability. Um, so... I'm sure this is a topic you've been asked about quite a bit by clients and client-facing people over the over the years. We just had a, a particularly great paper out from uh, the sustainability team on Sustain X, um, which is their tool for looking at well, what would happen if all of the external costs that companies impose on society were basically pushed back onto them. So things like health bills from smoking or gambling addiction or whatever they might happen to be. This feels like it would be very relevant for um, analysing credit risk because ultimately it says, well, what what are some of the tail risks if these costs were pushed back? Would you still be able to afford to repay uh, the debt? Is this something that you currently make use of in portfolios? So SustainX, until now, uh, the credit teams did not have access directly to the SustainX data. Um, but we are now because the data is now being uh, being rolled out uh, to the whole firm. So, okay, um, so it was originally designed more for equity for the equity teams, um, but now we have access, we have access to it. And of course, it's very it's a very important way of analysing um, what what Patrick McCullough calls the, the buckle points in in the company's um, business model, because there are some companies where the business model 
you know works until it doesn't, and you want to figure out when when it doesn't. And yeah. if and and so if you did reintegrate on the company's balance sheet and, and income statement all the external uh, externalities that they impose on on society or the environment, um, then you'd find the balance sheet be looking very different. Um, and of course. <laughs> As a lender, uh, you are part of that balance sheet. Even if you're a senior lender, uh, if the balance sheet is essentially being impaired by, by huge, huge potential liabilities that could run for years and years and years, your, your position is, is greatly impaired as a lender. So, so it's of uh, it's of great interest to us. Okay. Um, you know what we like about SustainX is it gives us the framework for that conversation. Um, it starts obviously with the larger capital, you know, large cap companies, which are mostly investment grade. So it's very important for our investment grade analysis, um, and clearly we're, uh, we're going to try to work to expand the, the coverage to uh, the smaller smaller companies um, and and therefore more of the high yield companies too. Okay, that's, that's, so it's good to hear that's being used uh, in credit as well. Now, um, I guess just whilst we've got a little bit of time left, um, very quickly, where do we stand with regards to product around the sustainability angle? So our credit teams have now uh, obtained their accreditation from the uh, as in terms of the integrated uh, kite mark that we're going to you're going to see appear on all our presentations for corporate credits. So across the entire corporate credit range, uh, now that's integrated across the range. Oh, fantastic! Um, and so uh, you know we're we're very pleased about that. That happened two or three weeks ago. Um, uh, we won actually a high yield a global high yield ESG mandate last week in, in America for the first time. And um, we also have a uh, we also have a client who who has asked us to manage for them a, uh, a, a mandate uh, which is which will be an investment grade uh, ESG mandate, and that's a European client um, that that fund it's their fund so therefore we sub advise them um, and they, they want to launch in the in the third quarter. And ourselves, we are currently uh, we are currently applied to the product development committee for uh, the launch of a sustainable variant of our European corporate bond fund uh, to be followed by a global corporate bond fund uh, soon after that. When the the European one? When do you expect that will actually be something that people could go out and start talking to their clients about? Well, if the normal cycle holds, then the the PDC should give us. Uh, well, I'm hoping they'll give us the OK uh, thing next week, um, and that then goes on to the prospectus, and it's probably a Q3 or Q early Q4 type type launch. Okay, great. So we should we we all going well. We will have a sustainable credit product, which people can start going and talking to the clients out um, later on this year. Yep. And last but not least, we have completely completed a recruitment, which we can't quite announce just yet. Of the senior portfolio manager who's going to manage uh, those sustainable strategies um, and the mandate that we get um, alongside as well. Okay, so you're you're both, I guess, resourcing up, and we've got strategies that we are managing for uh, clients are being asked to manage, and we're going to have products in a pooled form, uh, which can actually start to get marketed as well. So I think that one of the questions has always been, well, what products do we have, or how can we show that we are integrated in fixed income size? And it sounds like actually there's an awful lot. Of Good stuff that's coming out right now that we can start talking to people about. Yes, and that's the corporate side. And on the on the sovereign side, we're still working on the framework. Um, ironically, there's of course many less countries than there are companies, uh, but the framework for countries is very elaborate and and, and very complicated, um, and also quite sensitive because clearly we talk about things that are uh, that are potentially political in nature. Um, we also clearly look at what rating agencies do 
because they took, take, take a lot of these risks into account. So for us, we have to focus on, on the changes and direction of travel rather than the actual rating, which can be which can lag. Yeah. I think we need, to, we need to stop there. And I, I think the sovereign angle is interesting because it's, it is tricky and the kind of ability and willingness to pay both come into it. So we'll maybe have to return to that on a, on a subsequent call. But just, just to sum up, um, it sounds like um, markets have uh, moved a bit more towards our, our view of the economic outlook. Um, spreads are tight, but there are still some pockets of value. Um, we are um, all set up and ready to invest in Chinese bonds, taking account of the fact of the different views of our of our clients, and finally, lots of really good news on the sustainability front, both in terms of the integrated kite mark and also products that will be coming onto our shelf soon. So, with that, thank you very much, Philippe, and thank you everyone for joining me today. Thank you. This now concludes our conference call. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.